all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Jesse! <laughs> Jesse Pinkman. I'm Rachel. And I'm David. I'm Sarah. And this is All Bad Things. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. <laughs> Including special guest Jesse Pinkman. Jesse Pinkman, yes. We who, are... you, who you all asked for. <laughs> yes, actually, yes. <laughs> yes. To be fair, we are uh, continuing last week's recording like immediately after. So, um, still in the kitchen, still some echoes, we understand. Um, and Jesse Pinkman. Being a little shit, for the first time ever, interested playing in playing with, with toys. All, all the toys. <laughs> Hi, Jesse. Come here. Come here. And here he comes. Come here. He spent uh, part of last episode in my lap, too. Aw. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He did. He's a sweet boy. Even when he's terrible. Even when he's being a shit. Yes. Um, follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook, at, and TikTok at All Bad Things Pod. Mm. Email us allbedthingspod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook discussion group and our Discord. Sarah's on our Discord. I am. I only listen. I don't chat generally. I just I work alone. I'm alone all day long, and it's nice to see little... <laughs> Sorry. I'm <laughs> Little humans interacting with Yeah, it is. Um, I was doing a demo on an iPad the other day, and I put it on Do Not Disturb, but apparently that only works if you close the cover to your iPad. So... Oh. Uh, Lee's memes are famous in Tanzania. Just are they really? Yes, they are. Nice. They popped up. <laughs> yes, they did pop up. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> He's international. He now. is. Jess, oh, you're gonna get it. Okay. <laughs> um. So we are our anti-capitalist holiday gift exchange extravaganza bonanza is officially on email us with your name your address and a little bit about you if you would like to participate um probably keeping that open through november as we discussed or sorry (laughs) through october (laughs) as we discussed last week so um yes yeah. I was going to be like, how was your birthday last week, Sarah, as we record <laughs> 10 days before this episode comes out? Anyway. Um, Energy is flagging. Yes, Come on, guys. I know. It's, <laughs> yes, it's hard It's hard to record two at once. It really is. So, yes, this is going to be great. Okay. Could be a disaster, which would be appropriate. It would be appropriate. Um, so this is part two. Part deux. Since it is a partially Canadian disaster mm-hmm. of um, the Therac 25. So I'm going to redo the intro uh, from the summer of 1987 to January. Sorry, that wasn't it. From the <laughs> summer of 1985 to January 1987, a therapy machine called the Therac 25 majorly overdosed six people with radiation in what has become has come to be known as a landmark case of software programming gone horribly awry. I mentioned sources last week, but just another shout out to Nancy Levison and her papers. Super good papers. Our primary sources. And a quick, very quick, very quick, I promise, recap. (laughs) Since we just talked about all this. Uh, Last week we talked about cancer, how it could be caused, diagnosed, and treated by radiation. We discussed the concept of the LINEC, the linear accelerator, which is used in radiation therapy treatments, and how the Canadian Crown Corporation Atomic Energy of Canada Limited, or AECL, made several LINECs in the Therac series, the last of which was the Therac 25, which was the first built to be fully integrated with software, and that software was a little sus. Um, so what could possibly go wrong? Oh, nothing much. Let's talk about that. Um, so I'm going to start by describing each individual overdose incident uh, and then go into the response from each incident. So we're kind of going to go through the timeline twice. Uh, obviously, it was all occurring simultaneously. 
trigger warning. This gets grim. We, uh, we've definitely discussed before that radiation does bad things to the human body, especially uncontrolled and high doses and all that. The thing, the other thing that I found really shitty about this is that this radiation overdosing was happening to people who are already suffering because these were cancer patients. So this is a really cruel, like suffering on suffering story. So it's, it's pretty grim. So the first documented accident involving the Therac 25 was on June 3rd, 1985. I was nine months old, almost nine months old. Everybody else present was older than me, except for just the At the Kennestone Regional Oncology Center in Marietta, Georgia, which I think is a, it's an Atlanta suburb, isn't it? I think it is, yeah. yeah. So a six just, just Georgia itself is an Atlanta suburb. <laughs> yeah, a sixty-one-year-old manicurist, yeah, lady, named Katie Yarborough had breast cancer and was receiving radiation treatment on lymph nodes in her chest. So she had had a lumpectomy. She had had uh, surgery to remove a malignant tumor in her breast. But then this was we talked about this that. Um, Cancer treatments are often used in tandem with each other, right? Or as follow-up to each other, chemo, radiation, and surgery, and, and other therapies. Um, so she, her treatment was going to, t- because it was surrounding lymph nodes, and especially because she had breast cancer, it was going to be around her collarbones, was the idea. Um, so at this point, this particular Therac unit had been in use for six months with no reported incidents. So the machine was turned on for her treatment, for for Katie's treatment, and she felt what she described as, quote, this red hot sensation, end quote. And she told the radiation technician, you burned me. Like she just flat out was like, you burned me. That really hurt. That, because it's not supposed to. And remember, we said it can cause a little bit of like minor reddening of the skin, sure. a slight sunburn or whatever, but not, not a, a burn. burn. No, no, that's not what it's supposed to do at all. Um, the, now, the tech looked at her and there were no visible marks on her. But apparently, like when the area was touched, it was warm. Mm. Yeah, I know. It's like she was being microwaved from the inside <sighs> out. Yeah, I know. It's It's horrible. Um, but she was spent, she was just sent back home. It was like, okay, your treatment's done. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. Even though you felt like you got burned, but there was no physical evidence. And she was also like the first human being that this had happened to. Yes. uh, uh, Known. So there's Mm -hmm. no protocol on how to treat it probably but they wouldn't have known i think necessarily like i don't think there was any visible clues on the machine right no right I, like I agree. the, the mm-hmm. machine thought it had done everything yeah. properly yes. and mm-hmm. everybody situated would have been like there was well the only wrong. thing that indicated that anything went wrong was this lady being like ow and her feeling kind of warm now that's pretty telling mm-hmm. um but there's also, I mean, this could be a whole other episode, like there are circumstances under which some healthcare professionals can be dismissive of patient concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, but if also it was like, well, this machine is fail safe, basically, like mm-hmm. or foolproof rather. Um, it so, wasn't my fault. Yeah, I did everything I right. I entered everything right, and nothing is, is shooting back as an error. The computer says it did it right, so this lady maybe is just sensitive. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe that's what it seemed like. So she went home. Katie went home, and very soon she noticed that the area she had felt burning during her treatment was becoming swollen and red, and so painful she wasn't able to move her shoulder. Oh, God. She was starting to lose function of her shoulder she also started having muscle spasms so like a pretty bad reaction she did get admitted to a a different hospital because that was an oncology center right she was admitted to a hospital in atlanta um and i assume i i don't think i read in the paper but assume she was discharged already but regardless her oncologist kept sending her back for a therac 
25 treatments. Mm. Like it was two and two were not being put together mm. in this instant. Um, a couple of weeks later, the physicist at Kennestone, a man named Tim Still, um, realized, oh, that's Demetrius looking at all the water. Yes. Demetrius is drinking. Hello, Demetrius. He looks sleepy. He's just like, he's hey, what else? Under the covers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, the physicist, uh, took a look at Katie and noticed that she had visible burn marks in the front of her body, turned her over, and came to find she had visible burn marks oh, in the back it of went her body. Straight yeah. It went through. <sighs> yes. The, that should not have happened. That took a physicist to say versus all her doctors? Well, I so the paper wasn't super clear, but what I'm thinking is that it took time to, for that to like develop. Sure. And maybe that I'm not even sure why the physicist exactly got involved, other than like her complaints about like the shoulder and stuff, and like, well, let me take a look or whatever, and was like, oh boy, like this is radiation going completely through this woman's body. In in the beginning of the end, and all those old radiation movies they had this like stick that would go click 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 as they got uh, next uranium to, detector yeah, yeah. next to radiation they needed one of those uh, for her right? and she would have been off the charts right like she was radiating radiation probably right yeah um so at, at this point like things were deteriorating pretty bad for this poor woman she was in bad pain she could not move her shoulder and her skin was starting to peel like it was so badly burned it was starting to peel uh, they tried to give her skin grafts to, like, fix it, and they both failed to, to skin grafts. Um, so it's not known exactly how much radiation she was subjected to because the printout feature on the Therac would, would have shown that information, which whether it would have been accurate or not, who knows. But regardless, it was disabled at the time, so it didn't even matter. It couldn't even show that. I know, yeah. Uh, a typical therapeutic dose of radiation is around 200 radiation-absorbed doses, or RADs. Uh, still, the physicist would later state that based on the nature of her burns, she couldn't have received less than 8,000 RADs. And more likely, it was 15,000 to 20,000 RADs, which is well over a thousand times, or around a thousand times the... Uh, the, the dosage. Is that right? 100,000? Well, it was many times more. <laughs> more than so it should have been. So much more, yes. <laughs> we, we can agree with that one. <laughs> so, Katie Yarborough, who, remember, she already had surgery to remove a tumor from her breast. She had to have her breast removed as a result mm. of this, of her cancer treatment, not, not the cancer. Um... And she also completely lost the use of her shoulder and her arm mm. and had to live in constant pain. Um, sadly, and actually very unrelatedly, she died in 1990 in a car accident. So mm. she did not mm. die from this, but mm. I cannot imagine those last five years of her life were terribly comfortable. No. And that's the shitty part is that like these were people already suffering from having to go through surgeries and other treatments and in some cases, the ends of their lives were made horribly miserable by this. So, yeah. The second known incident happened at the... Jesse. <laughs> at the Ontario Cancer Foundation in Hamilton, Ontario, on July 26th, 1985. So this is like six weeks later, basically, or a little less than two months later. The Therac 25 unit had been in service for more than six months. The patient, or victim, I guess you can use the word simultaneously here, was a 40-year-old woman with cervical cancer who was getting her 24th Therac treatment. Uh, what the te- when the technician went to start her treatment, the Therac threw an error message. And remember, we talked about this last week. That happened all the time to the point where technicians were used to like blowing through the messages. They were told this was basically foolproof. This machine, you're fine. You can't possibly hurt the, the patient. Proceed or whatever. Um, so the technician had to go through the, you know, you hit the, the P key and it like lets you override and try again. 
it that failed it wouldn't work it had to be reset a tech service tech was called it got back up and running after the treatment finally finished the patient said she felt a sensation like a quote electric tingling shock end quote on her hip which was around hmm. the area that was treated when she came back for another therac treatment three days later she felt pain and burning in her hip and then her hip was also badly swollen the Foundation's Therac 25 was taken out of service, and the woman had to be hospitalized the next day. She died several weeks later, on November 3rd, 1985, of her cancer. She actually had a very aggressive form of cervical cancer. So that's what killed her, and that was her official cause of death. But the autopsy also noted that if she had lived, she would have had to have a total hip replacement mm. because of the radiation. So her hip was so badly messed up that she would have had to have it completely replaced. I wonder what kind of messed up, like if it's inflammation or burnt, like what does that look like? My thought, it was, so a hip replacement is the joint, right? So my thought is that mm. it was starting to destroy the joint or the bone, um, which would make sense if she was being overdosed with radiation. Her bone would have been in pretty bad shape too, like the lady who lost use mm-hmm. of her shoulder, right? Um, so her exposure, uh, and again, she died not long after this, just of, of the cancer, but again, like she spent a lot of her last days in massive pain because of something that was supposed to help her. Um, her exposure was estimated to be between 13,000 and 17,000 rats. So again, 200 is the norm. This is ridiculously over that. The third accident happened at Yakima Valley Memorial Hospital in Yakima, Washington. And this was the first incident where previous incidents came into play. So the Therac 25 there had actually been modified in response to the other two Therac malfunctions. We're going to get to that later because with the response. But it didn't do the third victim much good, um, unfortunately. So a woman received treatment from this machine in December of 1985 and it made her skin kind of red. Uh, this was a little bit different, though, because the burn that appeared on her was in what the paper describes as a parallel striped pattern. So it's like stripes. It appeared in stripes. Now, the remember we talked about the turntable on the Therac, which is what controls the dosage and the type of radiation received, either the... Um, more superficial accelerated electron, the deeper X-ray photon, or just a neutral like diagnostic setting. Um, there was a a tray that I I didn't I couldn't exactly pin down based on the paper, but what I would figure was part of the part of the turntable to like filter the the radiation in a certain way based on the type of radiation that had a striped pattern. So it sure would seem to indicate that that radiation went through that tray. But by the time they investigated it, that tray had been removed. So they didn't really see it or note it right. in the investigation, like as, as the hospital's looking into it. Um, so that was kind of an interesting thing. Um, they went down the rosy path of like, oh, maybe it's her chemo that's causing this <laughs> stripe burn on her. Um, they, the kind of clever thing that they also thought, but that turned out to be a complete, like, just not the cause, was her heating pad. Mm. They thought, well, what if the mm. wires in her heating pad are, like, in a parallel pattern? They x-rayed her heating pad. And they're like, nope, that's no, not that it. Can't be it. <laughs> yeah. So they're really um, carefully it looking into it. They were this. looking into yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, it behooved them, right? Yeah. Like, this is their facility's reputation on the line. Um, and we're going to get back to this patient in a little bit. So the fourth accident was at the East Texas Cancer Center in Tyler, Texas, on March 21st, 1986. The Therac 25 in use there had been in use for two years on over 500 people without any reported serious repercussions that's the other thing Without these are incident. like yep these are the known p- 
problems. The known overdoses, essentially. The known overdoses. Which, who knows if somebody maybe got a 400 or an 800, but nobody clocked it because they wouldn't have noticed necessarily. That's possible, and they could have ended up um, with ill health effects that could have never really been traced back. Yeah. Or just unnecessary radiation exposure. Or died of their cancer, like, Mm -hmm. later. Mm Mm-hmm. So this patient, uh, so the first three victims were all women, and they actually all survived the radiation, like they didn't die of the radiation. Uh, The male victims, not all so lucky. So uh, the first male victim uh, was an oil field worker named Ray Cox. He was in for his ninth treatment with the Therac um, after he had a tumor removed from his back. So in this case, in this malfunction, Ray ended up completely isolated from the technician because the TV monitor and the intercom were broken. So this guy was like literally alone in a sealed room, basically. Um, So the technician typed in the dosing information and caught an error that she made. Uh, She had indicated that it should be an X-ray dose, which remember is deeper when it should have been an electron dose. She tabbed up or keyed up like arrow key, changed it. She caught the error, changed it, proceeded, right? So good. Everything, everything worked fine. Um, then the Therex spat out error messages. And one was uh, a dose input error and the other was malfunction 54. Now, as we said last week, there were 64 different malfunctions that could be labeled that were never explained and nobody knew what they were because AECL chose not to publish that information. No user instructions, <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Call your operator if this happens. No. Nothing. No. Um, so the technician like worked through the errors. Again, this was par for the course. Um, Ray began feeling like what he described as someone pouring hot coffee on him. So again, Hmm. another burning sensation. He was like, okay, let me get up and like get off this table and go tell the technician because he had no communication with them. Um, And just as poor Ray was getting off the table, the tech was able to proceed with the treatment um, and Ray felt a huge electric shock in his arm. Mm. So it like m- it miss m- miss hit him. Misfired. Well, it, it's not that it misfired. It he unpositioned himself, yeah. and as he was leaving the table, it hit his arm, and the technician wouldn't have seen because right. they couldn't see on the screen. Right. But what the technician did here is him pounding at the door, screaming. Uh, yeah. Um. So the tech. Like, obviously, opened the door. He was shaken. He was upset. Obviously, that was horrible. Um, Doctors examined his skin, which was red, and they discharged him. Because, okay. They didn't know at the time. Oh, now it's Demetrius' turn. That's okay. They can probably not hear it anyway. I I think it's 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 far enough away. I think it's audible. Well, you you, you let us know. You be the judge. We will hear. (laughs) Um... They didn't know at the time that Ray had actually likely received the highest dose of radiation oh, thus far. An estimated 16,000 to 25,000 rads. It's like the computer is just getting meaner. <laughs> yes, right? Mm-hmm. So this exposure happened, just to give you like an idea, happened in an area of his body only about a centimeter in diameter for less than a second. And that's how bad it felt. Well, and here's what happened to him after. Mm. He soon lost the function of his arm. Mm. He started throwing up frequently. Then both of his legs and one of his vocal cords became paralyzed. From, again, one little tiny but extremely high dose of radiation. His body, like, started shutting down painfully bit by bit. Over the course of five months, and he died Jesus. from this overdose of radiation. First dead victim, or first victim who ended up dying. Um, now, For something that took a second. Yeah, yeah, less than a second. Oh yep. my God. And as if that weren't enough, the next incident, the fifth incident, also occurred at the same cancer center, the East Ooh. Tyler Cancer Center. Yep. In fact, uh, 
four of the incidents happened at two separate. Uh, like okay. sure. Two centers had two incidents. So, um, and this happened three weeks after Ray's overdose. So, the um, <coughs> the Theric had been taken out of service after that overdose. Um, but then was put in back in service on April. So that happened on March 21st. On April 8th, 1986, the Therac was put, or 7th, I forget if it was the 7th, I think it was the 7th, um, was put back into service. Four days later, this guy goes in for his treatment. So April 11th, 1986, he was another man, a 66-year-old bus driver named Verdon Kidd. He had skin cancer on his face. Jesus. Yeah. And this was even the same technician who treated Ray. But that's why it was happening, right? Did you read about that? Is that the technicians got, yeah. The speed? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so it was the same technician who treated him. Similar errors that had happened before. Again, very par for the course. Fixed it. The machine shut down. Um, and then showed the ominous malfunction 54 error message now at this point the intercom was working again and it's a good thing because the tech heard Verdon call for help so she ran inside and he was already getting off the table telling her that the side of his face felt like fire Mm. Uh, the hospital physicist spoke to the patient who told told him that he felt something hit the side of his face saw a flash of light and then heard a sizzling sound like eggs frying. Oh, Jesus. Ugh. Yeah. Verdon soon became disoriented. He fell into a coma, had a high fever, and he died within three weeks. Oh, my God. Now, that is likely because this radiation exposure happened right. to his brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, his autopsy showed brain radiation injury. And it was later determined that poor Verdon had been hit with 25,000 rats. Oh, my God. In the skull. Yeah. And at maximum 25,000 or at least? It's estimated. These are all estimates, but they're estimating around that. My God. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. The final incident took place again at Yakima Valley Memorial Hospital. This victim was a male patient who was treated in January of 1987. Again, error problems with getting the therac going once again the patient complained of a burning sensation and once again a striped burn pattern appeared unfortunately this patient died of the overdose that april so three deaths um but to get back to the first yakima victim the overdose of this patient led the hospital staff to be like hey maybe that's what happened to this lady last time Last year or whatever it was, um, they so they were able to diagnose what happened to her. Uh, they found out she had necrosis, which is oh, dead yeah. tissue yes. under her skin. Yeah, they which, treated. Which is also what happened in our radium girls. Episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. they treated her with skin grafts, which did actually help alleviate some of her symptoms. She was able to recover somewhat with less pain and a more minor disability. So actually. The second incident there kind of helped the first victim. So, so okay, now we're going to get into the response, which, remember, is kind of like happening simultaneous with all these incidents, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But um, AECL was contacted within the same month of the very first overdose by Tim Still, who is the physicist at Kennestone Regional, uh, where Katie Yarborough had... Uh, received her overdose. So he was concerned that the, maybe the machine, his suspicion was that the machine had malfunctioned because the sensor magnets that helped control the radiation beam hadn't worked properly. Like, that there was a mechanical malfunction, basically. And that that resulted in a much deeper dosage than intended. The company told him that's not possible. Mm-hmm. So he said, no. No, not possible. The, the machine didn't cause this. Period. The Titanic is unsinkable. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Tim Still would later recall that the AECL, to, or that AECL told him, quote, 
this kind of talk was liable was liable unless I had proof and that I better stop. End quote. So they're like, mm. them's fighting words, you better shut up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that means so like, keep up. that to yourself and shut up. Huh. I wonder if they knew that things were going wrong. No, they wouldn't have known, but they so, would have just been So here's the thing, there's a lot of unknowns about when did they really know about this? And when did they know? But they didn't accept it. And like there's there's a lot. And this company is still around to this day. So okay. I'll say there's a lot of alleging in all of this. But um, uh, at, so Katie Yarbrough, the first victim, filed a lawsuit in November of 1985 against Kennestone and against AECL. So at that point, the hospital said they told AECL about the lawsuit. And because they were being sued they would have had to be served mm-hmm. and made aware that they were being sued. Um, so certainly at that point, they would have at least known about allegations that something was wrong with the machine, right? Like, logically. But AECL would tell the FDA in April of 1986 that they had only just learned about the first incident. Mm. Mm, not if you got served. Like five months earlier, <laughs> yeah. It's it's sus at best, right? Um, they did, though, admit that Tim still had called them with what they called some, quote, rather odd questions, end quote. So, like, their, their side of the story is, oh, yeah, this guy called us and asking us some strange questions. And Tim Still's account is, they told me to shut the fuck up. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, And and if Tim Still's is to believe, they knew what he was implying, or at least asking about it. That seems like a typical corporation reaction. Like, this is our our SOP for Mm -hmm. allegations of our manufacturing being in question is deny, deny, deny. We didn't know. They didn't explain. We had no idea. We were watching TV. (laughs) The glove does not fit. (laughs) All that stuff. You must have quit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Corporations be corporations. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately for all involved, Kennestone did not report the accident to the FDA, despite their suspicions, because at that point in time... The FDA only required manufacturers and importers to report malfunctions of medical equipment that resulted in death or injury. Users and operators, like hospitals and technicians, were not required to report this. So just a break in the chain of reporting, because if hospitals didn't report it, then Mm -hmm. the manufacturers could just shrug and be like, well, we weren't there, we don't know. Because then you just leave it to the people who are responsible for selling the Mm -hmm. equipment, right? And they're not going to want to disclose it. Um, So they're going to be like, no, I didn't see that, didn't hear that, didn't see that. Now, fortunately, that did change in 1990. And now hospitals and users are required to report this. It is estimated that prior to this change... Somewhere in the ballpark of 99% of injuries from medical devices went unreported. Wow. Because the, the medical facilities and the users and operators are the ones who would see it. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the manufacturers until a lawsuit or a complaint was filed. So, of course, if AECL had known about this incident, they probably should have notified the FDA at that point. And indicators are that now, maybe they denied it, and that's why they didn't report it. But regardless of when AECL learned about the accident, it wouldn't have necessarily helped much because they didn't even have a formal process in place at the time to investigate alleged incidents with their own products, which is poor corporate governance. Yeah. Like, if you have, like, you're producing a device. First of all, that's a medical device. Straight off the bat, you're dealing with people's like health and possible lives. And it's radiation. <laughs> yeah, it seems like there would yeah. be uh, um, some sort of record keeping going on there. Those Maybe. are high stakes. 
weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we've already learned they're not great with record keeping, like with their mm-hmm. software, for example. Yeah. Um, at that time, no other Therac 25 users were made aware of the incident. Mm-hmm. So even other hospitals or centers that had these machines. And if you think about it, there were 11 total machines in use, right? And four of them had incidents. Yeah. That's pretty bad. Yeah. That's just over a third. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the second incident, at least that was the woman with the hip who died of cervical cancer, uh, at least resulted in some action. So AECL sent a service engineer to the Ontario Cancer Foundation to look at their Therac to try to figure out what happened. And at that point, like, Things started getting on the radar of regulatory agencies in both Canada and the U.S. So that was when the FDA was starting to get involved in the U.S. In Canada, it was the Canadian Radiation Protection Bureau, the CRPB. Uh, At the time, that was what the entity was known as. Um, And at that point, other users of the Therac were notified that there was a problem with the machine, but they weren't told that it resulted in injury severe injury they're just told yeah there's an issue <laughs> there's just an issue we get yeah. more warnings that there is a bug in our phone mm-hmm. and yeah, our phone app than people right? are getting with this yes mm-hmm. <sighs> they were told well, well in, in all fairness in 1987 they're like what's a phone app <laughs> <laughs> that's true they're like is that is that like somebody else's is that somebody's secondary phone number <laughs> their second landline. Do they have? Do they have two landlines in their house? Is that their facsimile? Yes. <laughs> Your kids are gonna love that music. <laughs> Back to the future. Get yes, it? Yeah. I do. Yes. Okay. Um, so users were told that they should visually confirm the turntable was in the right position before giving the radiation treatment. Now that's still not really the problem which we'll get into that but um that even that advisory was withdrawn three months later so like watch it for a few months okay now you're good (laughs) and i don't even know how that would help i really don't like it would help you know are you giving the x-ray dose or the other dose because you could look at it but even then, like, could you stop the software and pause right. it to look at it? Would you have to wander into the room to look at it? Right? I yeah, don't I don't get that either. I'm not sure of the mechanics of that. Yeah. Um, they also instituted a voluntary or class two recall, which can be uh, instituted when a malfunction causes temporary or reversible illness, ill health effects, but has only a remote possibility of causing injury or death which i guess if you look at it statistically you'd have to look at how many treat successful well and again we don't even really know how many successful treatments were given because we don't know how many people received what about underdoses Mm -hmm. what if people were sitting there getting no treatment and then died of the cancer because they weren't getting treatment you know i also can't imagine the recall would be very successful because like if amazon says to me well we'll refund you the money if you send it back i'm like too much trouble yeah and these things are room size and they're like well send it back if you want i'd be like no thanks they also probably cost a shit ton of money yeah so they probably were like okay you come and get it well it's saying there is nothing wrong with this machine it is foolproof, mm-hmm. but if you want, you can send it in. Yeah. For, you know, like there's there's also a lot of mixed messaging going on here. So now at this point, AECL did start their own investigation. They tried to replicate the errors that the users were getting, but they couldn't. So they had to hardwire the malfunction. They had to like force the malfunction. And they found a problem in the way the computer sensors and the micro switches on the turntable interacted. I literally put in parentheses, three bit signal versus one bit error, dot, 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 Sarah, question mark, question mark, question mark, do you know what that means? I, I don't, I wouldn't know that what that means. It is bits are the size of the piece of information that you're storing. A bit is either a one or a zero. Okay. So if you're trying to put 
uh, the number one, uh, if you're trying to put the number 999 into mm-hmm. a place that is a zero bit, that only has room for one uh-huh. or zero, it's not going to work. If you're trying to put a two, it's oh, not going to work. Oh, well, maybe that's what it was. Yeah, okay. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. So, remember, the turntable controlled what kind of radiation the patient received. The software error could cause the plunger that locked the turntable in its position uh, to lock into the wrong position and not be able to know the difference, not be able to acknowledge the difference. It sounds like they're just trying to confirm their own idea that it was a positioning error, so they were trying to like hunt it down in that way instead of being what... What are, what's the list of the 10,000 things we need to narrow down? Well, from what I understood, the software error gave an ambiguous signal to the mechanical parts mm. of the machine. And it's like, I don't think you want your computer get, getting an ambiguous signal about anything. Maybe that's what the three bit versus, this is where I got, I got in the weeds. This was <laughs> tough. This was tough to really understand. At any rate, ACL like patched the software basically they changed a part of the software they rolled that out to the users of the therac 25 so i think that was what had been modified when i said before you know that one of the machines had already had a modification i think that's what had been modified at that point they said that this patch is improving this whole software by a magnitude of five and again, they probably just made that up. Yeah, that sounds very arbitrary. It was very like, arbitrary. How do you measure This is five times safer. How do you measure well, what, is, what is funny, like the terminology of a patch is still used to, to, today. Well, so I'm using that term. I think that's what it mm-hmm. means when you like an fix, update. Yeah. fix the software, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Whenever you buy a new video game. You like always the, have to do. The third or fourth day that you have it. Mm-hmm. Whenever, whenever you boot up, whatever, it'll say... We are adding this to, yeah. It's just, you buy a new device and mm-hmm. you you open it and it's like, okay, <laughs> install this. Yes. Well, usually now we need to fix this. it goes out of beta and they get the real users using it. Mm-hmm. And usually you're opted into their bug monitoring system. Uh-huh. And because they have millions of people playing this new game, they're seeing millions of new errors. Well, I don't yep. say millions, but there are tons of new errors. That they didn't see before. So then they mm-hmm. release their patches. That happens many yeah, many times yeah, very very common but that's a good analogy to this it's the fact that even given all of our current technology and all of the tests that we can run it's we still are not going to see everything yeah. until real people mm-hmm. use it in yep. the real environment mm-hmm. you have that jerk mashing all the buttons on the controller right. and mm-hmm. causing errors and you have mm-hmm. to fix for that yep real world testing mm-hmm. conditions right mm-hmm uh, so these modifications were made to the Therac 25 that overdosed the first Yakima victim. So obviously this did not address the problem, or at least not all of the problems. The CRPB investigation found that aside from these problems with the micro switches and the software, there were other software and hardware problems in the Therac 25, and they spelled out four modifications for AECL, AECL to make to the machine to ensure it was complying with the country's Radiation Admitting Devices, or RED Act. The company didn't make these modifications. Um, The Ontario Cancer Foundation hired its own investigator, who also made recommendations to modify the Therac. AECL didn't do that. So the center literally installed their own manual interlocks on their Therac. They modified the machine to try and make it more safe. Yeah. Uh, the first Yakima incident, the one where the patient had a striped burn, had the hospital staff both write a letter to and call AECL in early 1986 because there's obviously no email, at least not in <laughs> wide use. And AECL wrote a response stating, quote, we are of the opinion, the opinion that this damage could not have been produced by any malfunction of the Therac 25 or by any operator error, end quote. They're like, nope, wasn't the operator, it wasn't the user, and wasn't the machine. How and my question is, that? what else yeah. is it? How 
how can you is it the they thought it was the cancer patient in there like whacking stuff yes. with his changing the code using know. a surreptitious heating pad that did have that pattern yeah. of wire i think yeah. that's just corporation stuff just deny yeah. deny deny mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they went on to assert that the therac was incapable of overdosing patients and that no other incidents, quote, of similar damage, end quote, had been noted. That's lies. That's lies, yes. Um, the hospital believed AECL's assertions, especially because they had installed the patch for the software. They thought that made it impossible to malfunction in this way. Five times safer. Yep, especially with that, that mm-hmm. assertion, yep. The day after the fourth incident, which this was the first East Te- Texas incident, the Therac at the center was shut down. Two AECL engineers came to inspect the machine. They couldn't replicate error malfunction 54. One of the engineers continued to insist it was literally impossible for the Therac 25 to overdose a patient. They insisted the problem was an electrical malfunction. So like the outlet? <laughs> yeah, they, a circuit. and oh, the outlet, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Plugged it's in the wrong way. utility problem, yeah. But if it's impossible to overdose a patient then electricity it wouldn't, wouldn't, it wouldn't matter. matter nothing yeah, would matter interesting, nothing interesting would matter. how we note that but the, co- the company didn't seem to the center's physicist <coughs> excuse me fritz hager asked the company point blank if there had been any similar incidents with therac they told him no given the timeline that was probably un it it's Difficult to believe they were unaware of the other three incidents at this point, especially because they were being sued for them. It's highly likely that that was untrue. (laughs) Allegedly, that seems like that was a lie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or they were just, somebody at the top was aware and was just like, let's hush hush. Mm -hmm. So... Remember, this was the machine that they put back into service four days before it killed another patient. So... If the company had said, okay, yes, there have been some issues or anything else, they may not have put that machine back and the other guy wouldn't have died. So that's pretty awful. Mm -hmm. Or at least he wouldn't have died of that. Um, Once the second patient at East Texas died, Fritz Hager took the center's Therac out of service, called AECL, and then he started his own investigation. He's like, you know screw this, these guys aren't doing anything, I'm going to do it. He and the technician, who, remember, was involved in both incidents at East Texas, um, literally holed up in the Therac room and worked through a weekend. So, like, he was literally there with her saying, okay, and then what did you do? And then what happened? And then what happened? And she had to remember every step she took until they were able to replicate the malfunction 54. Mm. For the first time in a real world setting, somebody Mm -hmm. replicated it. Um, Not only that, but they were able to figure out what it was. Malfunction 54 was that the input speed of the commands in the computer terminal, what the tech was putting in, outpaced the software's eight second lag time processing capabilities which i feel like is just the mechanical turn rate of the code so Mm -hmm. ticking through the code took this amount of time the real time Mm -hmm. software yep Mm -hmm. yep so basically this tech was so fast she outwitted the computer unintentionally Mm -hmm. and that was um and, and this computer was slower than it needed to be to be safe, basically, mm-hmm. under those circumstances. Um, and all the testing that had been done to try and replicate this error by AECL was done slowly, deliberately, to try, okay, now we're doing this, now we're doing this. The processor could keep up with it. It wasn't a problem. They couldn't, they couldn't duplicate it. So Hager explained this to AECL. They were finally able to replicate the malfunction on their own. Um, And as word started getting around about these malfunctions, a University of Chicago physicist decided to try to replicate the error on the Therac 20 because it shared some of the software in common with the 25. With some experimenting, he was able to find a pattern of malfunction in the 20 that occurred when only when new radiology tech students started training on the machine. 
their mistakes in coding because they were new at it or in inputting because they were new often ended with fuses being blown in the Mm. machine. The physicist notified the FDA of this malfunction and Therac 20 users were notified of the bug, even though this wasn't really a huge problem for the 20 because it didn't integrate the software the same way the 25 did and could and did operate independently from the hardware. It had the interlocks. It was basically the failsafe that protected patients from that machine. Uh, this, so that was the first, there was like, now that, again, this, some of this is happening simultaneously, but the FDA and other regulatory agencies are getting wind of this. The second East Tyler accident also tipped off the FDA. The Texas Health Department reported it to the FDA, and they immediately began investigating. The company submitted an accident report to the agency soon after uh, the second Tyler incident, and sent out a letter to all Therac 25 users recommending a temporary fix to keep the machines up and running. And the fix consisted of them literally telling users, don't use the up arrow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, you got to start somewhere. Like, that was the thing. Um, And Sarah, feel free to jump in if Mm -hmm. any of this stuff is, because I'm rolling on to the The, the, um... Eight second delay created something called race conditions in software. Okay. That is where your code outpaces itself or something outpaces the code. So mm-hmm. you expect certain steps to be executed prior to the next, you know, step or line, and mm-hmm. then it doesn't happen. And that's called a race condition. And really where this got them was that they were using shared variables. So they were storing different pieces of data in the same spot. Mm. So they would expect this loop to finish up and either do a one or a zero or a 10 or whatever it was in the same variable. Uh, But the machine was looking at that variable too soon. So it was getting not like a null error or like this isn't here. I don't know what to do. It was getting, oh, it's this. Because it was a shared variable and the variable just kept flip-flopping depending on where in the code. I think that is an example of very poor coding. Coding. Like you have to be able to know what is in a variable at all times and control for that. So I think that was... um, Just poor design. Poor design with that eight second delay. Wow. Yeah, no, that's very poor design. (laughs) And that seems like that feeds back into that real world a real-time software mm-hmm. sort of thing. Damn. Yeah. Huh. So, uh, so AECL had said, okay, all Therac users, here's a temporary fix to keep them all up and running. Uh, don't use the up arrow. Um, on May 2nd, 1986, the machine was declared defective by the FDA and Yay. consumers who had, well, we're not quite out of the woods. Consumers who put, purchased the Therac were notified. Um, some users disclosed they they had already added manual interlocks to safeguard the machines, so maybe that's why some of those other seven machines didn't malfunction, because they were adding their own safeguards. Uh, the FDA also required AECL to come up with a corrective action plan. So how are you going to make this right? The rest of 1986 was like a back and forth between AECL and the FDA over the corrective action plan, and it dragged out long enough for the last victim in early 1987. After the second Yakima victim, the hospital physicist, this is a weird, like, ode to the hospital physicist, because they were the ones to find all this stuff, um, ran some tests and found that when the machine was supposed to be in field light position, so that's the neutral position, a neutral light bouncing off a mirror to visualize where the radiation would go. Um, It seemed to be radiating something very similar to what happened to the patient. So the long and short is that some of these patients who are massively overdosed were massively overdosed because there was nothing filtering the radiation. They Mm -hmm. were literally being just zapped with the full force of all the radiation coming from the machine. So, um, at this point, AECL uh, engineers stopped denying (laughs) that anything could be wrong with the Therac. 
and they were able to replicate the conditions that led to this neutral field light position, dosing patients in their tests uh, with up to 10,000 rads. That alone is terrible, even though it seems like it ended up being a lot higher to some of the victims. Uh, the company called all Therac 25 users on January 26, 1987, telling them how to avoid the error. And remember, this is a completely different problem than the problem with the outpacing thing. Race conditions. Yes, this was this was just riddled with problems. Mm-hmm. On February 3rd, 1987, AECL announced a new software and also hardware implementations to all Therac 25 uh, units that finally included the damn manual interlocks that some people had already put on their on themselves. A few days later, the FDA coordinated with Canada's Health and Welfare to advise that use of all Therac 25s be halted until they could be fixed once and for all. Um, AECL regulators and users all met and discussed the action plan for getting all the Theracs back up and running. You know, at this point, I'm just like, just trash these machines. Mm -hmm. Like, these are beyond um, fixing, you know? And users expressed concerns about the machine software not having a hard copy audit trail or any form of independent evaluation. Mm-hmm. So software was never independently evaluated, which I'm guessing is normal to happen. I would think it's medical. <laughs> yeah, at least when yeah. you're dosing we, we would, with radiation. We would hope. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> One could only hope. Yes. Um... AECL wasn't very cooperative. They said, oh, independent evaluation, would yeah. it's, pro- it's probably not possible. It's probably not going to happen. They also got very cagey surrounding their software review and audit process. Um, for whatever reason, the person who, the one person who programmed this software, was the name was never revealed. It was never known at all really publicly who this person was which for them is probably for the it's best. probably good for them yeah but <laughs> yeah I, the fact that no one has seen the code i think that makes me a little bit uncomfortable yeah um nobody wants to copy your code a e c l nobody's gonna steal it at right. this point <laughs> so i think you Definitely can release not. it and right. um, yeah nobody's gonna want to make a, <laughs> a code from 1987 well or even back then. Even back then. Like, <laughs> this is bad code. We're not going to use yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. Um, their documentation for their corrective action plan was anything but corrective, really. It made weird assumptions about the software's behavior and possible failure rate and was very shocking, not <laughs> not forthcoming in information about the testing. Mm-hmm. By the summer of 1987, the FDA instituted a class one recall, meaning the Therac, in the FDA's opinion, could possibly cause serious harm or death. The final corrective action plan released in July of 1987 included enough like improvements for the FDA to state, quote, <laughs> this is such a weird, sorry, that's not the quote. This is such <laughs> a weird statement, quote, We cannot say with absolute certainty that all software problems that might result in improper dose have been found and eliminated. However, we are confident that the hardware and software safety features recently added will prevent further catastrophic consequences of failure. Wow, that's so uh, confident. A lot of they want you to have a lot of confidence in the fact that they cannot figure out what's wrong with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. No more accidents with the Therac 25 were reported, and the machine that killed three people and horribly injured another three was eventually decommissioned. I could not find a timeline on that. Um, All lawsuits brought by victims and families were settled out of court. Sure. Because they did not want Mm -hmm. any of that stuff coming out in court records. That's my guess. AECL is still up and running today, though the branch that made medical devices, AECL Medical, eventually went private and is now called Theratronics International Limited. And that, my friends, is the story of Therac 25. Oh my God. Anything to add, software stuff? Anything that we didn't get to? <clears throat> um, no, I, I feel bad for the programmer. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's hard to have... 
I worked on a app for a long time and it wasn't just, it was a pretty simple app. It was just supposed to record Bluetooth input of accelerometry. Mm-hmm. Um, but saying that it was ready was so hard for me yeah. and being like, yep, we're ready to deploy on patients. Let's go collect the data. Um, it was hard for me to have confidence in it because of thinking of things like this. I, yeah. I know I don't want to be the person programming an x-ray machine or programming right. a, a drill, a dental drill or something oh, like God. that. It's too much responsibility. Well, and it shouldn't be on one person, mm-hmm. period. And I was an intern. Yeah. <laughs> so nothing went wrong. Nothing really went wrong. It went, it went fine. We did do it's a fine. little... It's fine. It's all fine. We did do a little <laughs> testing, but we couldn't do a lot of testing. I mean, we, like, we, we went up to the geriatric ward and uh, mm-hmm. we put it on ourselves and we saw you know like well what if they get up and wander away but mm-hmm. like, you just can't figure out oh we didn't uh control for showers somebody took a shower oh, no. yeah. with the device on them and it uh i i don't know if it broke but it definitely stopped it. <laughs> recording <laughs> um but we got a paper out of it we published a paper okay yeah <laughs> that would suck to be the one person like here you're gonna handle all this here's your assignment mm-hmm. and then to the person must have known like i something i wrote caused the mm-hmm. deaths of three people and injured a bunch it, it injured a bunch of cancer patients i think it probably wasn't even their fault i think they probably got a little like a printed out piece of paper like saying we want this to happen with code yeah and it was just a bunch of numbers and timing and you know some something like that where they just you know did the code the way that it was presented to them right it was just like the plan Mm -hmm. presented to them was poorly designed too probably yeah yeah um there was there was things like the don't press up yeah. That was like for the the software couldn't understand what to do if you didn't sequentially execute your commands. Oh. So you were skipping if you went if oh there was an oh. error up uh-huh. here and you like skipped your cursor up like to that fix lady the error. did with the mm-hmm. e to the um, x ray. Yeah, yep. mm-hmm. then it would get confused at that point. Oh. So that sort of thing you should think about. Yeah, but at that like you'd have to either control for that or lock the cursor. I'm sure that was possible. And just to like have to delete all the Mm -hmm. line and start Start over. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, don't skimp on your radiation code. No, (laughs) that's the thing. That's the thing. That's ultimately the thing. Like there (laughs) are places where you can, like we were talking about this. Like if you're, if you're programming a game, the worst that'll happen. Good Jesse. He's got his face in some shoes. Yeah, yes, my he shoes. Does. <laughs> Being very cute. I'm going to have to take a picture of that to share with everybody. Live from the podcast. Oh, he, of course, took his face out he of the shoe. He looks up. Mm-hmm. He's like, I know you're going to get me. He does. Demetrius knows better when I'm... He, he, he ruins all the pictures I try to take. Anyway, um, like if you, if you make poor choices or just don't program a game well the worst that's going to happen is people are going to get really frustrated and you could cause business problems mm-hmm. right it's not going to kill anybody if you mess up the programming on a radioactive medical device you could kill people and that mm-hmm. is exactly what happened or you mess up your code that uh projects credit card information yeah mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. a lot of these things can happen but it doesn't necessarily always blast you with radiation off the face of the earth what are you no, trying no, to show me no just uh bring up the uh the episode again oh okay yeah. i was yeah. like are you trying to show me the time yeah. there okay gotcha gotcha well that was a fascinating topic thank you for picking it and for a smoking two episodes out of it. Yes. <laughs> that sets us up for two weeks. Thank you. <laughs> so what was the uh, subtitle for episode two? Oh, I just called it malfunction. Okay. I, I almost thought of saying, what is your major malfunction? <laughs> what was your subtitle for the first episode that you came up with? Okay, uh, computer. Yes. Okay, computer. That's right. Yep. Yeah. We'll figure out the second subtitle. <laughs> Maybe before we post it, who knows? Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> or it might just be this. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Either way. Well, I mean, that's... 
fucking scary. Yeah, it is really scary. I mean, all I had going through my mind the entire time were like these. There was a sci-fi film in like 1985 or 86, and I cannot remember the name of it, but it had it starred Tom Selleck and his mustache. Well, it always it's actually his mustache and, and Tom, Tom Selleck, Selleck featuring Tom Selleck. <laughs> And Gene Simmons. Oh, God. I, I, can't remember, I can't remember the name of it. Was he the mutant? Gene Simmons? Well, no, he wasn't. A, he was the bad guy, but he wasn't oh, a mutant. Yeah, that but he, like, a, it was like a dystopian future where, this is 1986, by the way. Yeah. Where, like, robots were doing all sorts of, like, menial tasks, which was not even close to happening in 1986. <laughs> and I'm sure in the movie, it's, like, the future was, like, it's 1997. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and robots control everything. But uh, but yeah, he like, he put in like some sort of code in the robots that made them go oh, uh, like nuts and, the... and kill people. Okay. Man, yeah, that, I'd have that'd to, be a bad coding we, we, error too. Uh, anybody who's listening, look up the name of that movie and I'm sure it's free on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Selleck wouldn't allow that. Gene but Gene Simmons, Simmons would. would. That. No, no, yes, no, he would. He would not allow it to be free. If he got Gene's, the if he nope. got the money on the back end, yes, Gene he would. Simmons would never let anything he produces be free. That, <laughs> that man is, ha- yeah. has not met a dollar he hasn't loved. That is true. I, I'll have to go with that. So it's on YouTube Premium, <laughs> maybe. But anyway, yeah, that's a it's a fucking scary episode. It's terrible. It's and terrible. Now I kind of want to look up more. I I almost watched a Netflix documentary that now I might do. That deals with something kind of like this. Yeah. There's a, a documentary on Netflix about medical devices in general and how they can go pretty awry. Yeah. Yeah. Medi- a mesh. Like uh. medical mesh, especially. Yeah. Anyway. Well, in any regard, that was our second episode of Therac 25 titled Malfunction. Possibly. Possibly. We'll see. Maybe. You'll know by the time you're yes. downloading this. <laughs> This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. I'm Sarah. We'll see you next week. I won't.